0: Well, here we are. Uh, we are in a series entitled uh, "Empowered: A Journey of Grace," and uh, we are in week five, are we not, of six weeks? So the penultimate, dun, 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 penultimate talk of this series, and uh, I hope you have been blessed by it. <clears throat> we certainly have enjoyed preaching, haven't we, done? It's been wonderful. Um, so, you know, this, this series, Empowered, really follows a thread of teaching that we kicked off way back in autumn, uh, which is when we looked at the blessing. What is the blessing of God? And we, we looked at the Abrahamic blessing that you can find in Genesis 12. Thank you, Dan. Um, I'm glad Dan's there. You're going to be very useful this morning, Dan. I can see this. <clears throat> uh, Genesis 12. <clears throat> and how Paul says that as, as believers in Christ, that blessing is available to us because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus fulfilled the law and the covenantal requirements on our behalf, and so his righteousness is given to us that we can walk in the blessing of God. And then we looked at the blessing part two, part deux, and that looked at the blessing and how we position ourselves to receive that blessing. And one of the the, the things that we looked at, one of the important components of that is the requirement of holiness, or in other words, to be Christ-like. And so that then kicked us off into a new series called The Difference, which was about being set apart for God, about being different than the world, about being Christ-like. And at the end of that series, we looked at the place of grace, because we posed the question, how can we be holy? And what we got to was ultimately we are holy because of the work of Christ in us. It's his holiness in us that enables us to be holy, as we abide in him. And then the question was, well, how do we abide in him? And the answer, grace. And in fact, we looked at uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.8, and he was saying to God, Well, God, I want to live a holy life, but I've got a problem. It's a thorn in the flesh, in the side. And, uh, and Paul was saying, Can you remove it for me, please, so I can live this holy life? And God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. What does that mean, Well, it means that I am not going to remove all the obstacles in your life, but I'm going to empower you in spite of your obstacles by my grace. And that then leads us on to this series, therefore, Empowered, A Journey of Grace. And we've been unpacking that verse. And in fact, one of the anchor texts of this series is Titus uh, 2, verses 11 to 12, and Paul, when he's writing to Titus, says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That is the, the first part of grace, that amazing grace, how sweet the sound, do not fear, I will not sing it again. <laughs> that is that grace that saves us. But then he goes on to say this, grace also teaches us, as up there, look, no to ungodliness and worldly passions, in spite, I'm gonna put, brackets, in spite of the circumstances and the world that you find yourself in, and instead grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And so that really for us sums up empowered living, this second part, how grace empowers living. And that brings us up to this present moment. All clear? Good. Nod your head. Very good. And so uh, as Chris mentioned last week, uh, when he looked at the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, um, in this work of grace, he mentioned that I was going to speak on the fruit of grace. And given that he's not here this morning, I'm not going to. <clears throat> I'm joking. I am, in fact. <clears throat> um, but I'm going to do it in a slightly different way than I ordinarily would have done. You see, uh, what I probably could have done and what I'm, you would have expected me to do is go to Galatians 522 to 23, and do an exposition on the fruit of the Spirit. And that would have been good, and I would have enjoyed that, and hopefully you would have been blessed. But I want to do it slightly different this morning. And what I want to just do first is is kind of define what the fruit of grace is. What does that really mean? Well, let me say this first off, first point of the morning, grace always has an impact. Grace always has an impact. You see, God's grace will cause a change in us. It causes new life in fact, specifically, the life of Christ in us. You know, St. Augustine, one of the uh, early church fathers in the first century, what did he say on this subject? He said this. I think it might be on the screen. He said, For the grace, for grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. Do you like that? I like that. For grace is, is given not because we have done good works, But in order that we may be able to do the good works. In other words, grace has an impact. It causes good works. And that, therefore, is fruit. Do you get it? That's fruit. And what I want to do then is I want to use a story that we find in Luke to unpack this fruit of grace. And in so doing, what I'm going to hope and attempt to do is summarize the previous four weeks and bring us to fruit of grace um, and prepare us for next week where Chris is going to look at giving grace away. So with that, I'm going to to pray, and then we're going to get into the story. Lord, thank you for this journey that we as a church find ourselves in. A journey, Lord, where you are calling us to live empowered lives, calling us to rise above the difficulties and the challenges and the obstacles of this world, and, and live lives where we do that which you've called us to do. To be world changers, to save the lost, to heal the brokenhearted. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our ears afresh to hear your word, that it would be life, Lord. This wouldn't just be an interesting teaching session, but Lord, this would be a moment in time where our lives are changed and we recognize, Lord, that can only come from you and the work of your spirit so, Lord, do that in us. Would we leave these doors different than when we came in, I pray, and anoint me afresh. Lord, I do ask to preach your word in your name. Amen. All right, let's turn to this wonderful story. It's found in <clears throat> Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, chapter 19. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles or your smartphone device. We'll have it on the screen as well. And we're going to look at Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And I'm sure you will remember this story from Sunday school with Zacchaeus in the tree. It's a lovely story. And what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to read this through now with you. And then I'm going to spend the rest of the time unpacking it. And in fact, looking at nine principles of grace. I thought 10 was too obvious. Nine is a much better number. And now, I don't expect you to remember all these nine principles of grace. Do not fear. Do not fret. There will not be a test afterwards. But if any of those resonate with you as I go through them, let me encourage you. Write them down. Write them down. Okay. You you all there? I gave you some time to flick to Luke. Good. Let's read this. It's on the screen as well. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short. He could not see over the crowd, but because, I should have said. So what did he do? He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What a wonderful story. All right, let's walk through this story together. So who is the lead character? Zacchaeus. Who is Zacchaeus? He's a tax collector. Not only is he a tax collector, but we learn he is a chief tax collector, in other words, the worst of the worst, I'm afraid. The worst of the worst. And he alludes to it, doesn't he, himself. Corrupt, no doubt. These tax collectors were corrupt. Why? Because power had gone to their head, backed up by the Romans, who was going to oppose these tax collectors. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Robin Hood, you know, and uh, the sheriff. If I want to raise the taxes, I'll raise the taxes. What is anybody going to do about it? And this is the situation that Zacchaeus found himself But to make matters worse, Zacchaeus was also a Jew. He was a Jew. A Jew working for the Romans, defrauding his fellow man. What a situation he found himself in. And so what happened? The Jews regarded him as a traitor. They hated Zacchaeus. Can you see this? Zacchaeus, all alone. He found himself outside the fold rejected and despised by his own, and no doubt looked upon by the Romans with a bit of scorn. They just saw him as a pawn in their empire-building activities. Here he is, alone, an outsider. But what's interesting is that in a worldly sense, you would have looked at Zacchaeus and thought, this is a powerful man, he's empowered, surely. He has a position he has authority. He can do what he wants. But let me propose this, that, in fact, he was powerless. Why do I say that? Because, in truth, he was in bondage, really. Think about it. He was alone. He was isolated, constrained by his position. In fact, the, the circumstances that he found himself were the things that were directing how he acted. Do you see that? He he was not an empowered guy, but in fact the world saw him as empowered. And is that not the case in our world today? That we often see people as empowered, but the reality is they need Christ. They're powerless. They are powerless. So here's Zacchaeus, alone, rejected, despised, in this middle bit between the Romans and the Jews. Anyone got a bit of sympathy for him? Not yet, maybe. I have a little bit. I have a little bit for him. But isn't it interest, interesting? Something changed for Zacchaeus this morning. I say this morning, it may be the afternoon. He doesn't say. Why don't we assume it's the morning? It makes the story nice. So it's the morning and something's going to change for him. What happens? Well, Zacchaeus hears that this man, Jesus, is coming to town. He's walking through Jericho. And you can just imagine, can't you, everyone, all the Jews talking. That Jesus is coming. What, Jesus? The guy that's doing all these miracles? That Jesus? Yes, that Jesus. He's coming through. You mean Jesus, the one that dumbfounds the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Yes, that Jesus. Well, I've got to see this. You can just imagine the excitement. And Zacchaeus hears this. Wow, I've got to see this for myself. I've got to see this Jesus. But wait a minute, Zacchaeus has a problem. In fact, he has two problems. The first problem is that ordinarily, he would never be seen socializing with these Jews. They hated him, and he felt rejected. Why would he go with the Jews to go and see Jesus? No, that wouldn't work. And the second problem, as we read in here, a practical problem, he was short. He wouldn't see, would he? So what's he going to do? There's no way I'm going to miss this, thought Zacchaeus. I know what I'm going to do. So he looks out of his window, no doubt, And he can see the hustle and the bustle. And he looks ahead and there's a sycamore tree. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run ahead and get into that sycamore tree and climb up. That would be it. Perfect. I'll be just outside enough that people won't be able to spot me. Plus, I'll have the perfect view. And you know, I find this very interesting. Let me just pause at this point. He he didn't feel he was able to push through the crowd and get to the front if he was short. You know that the woman who was bleeding, she pushed through. She didn't care, but Zacchaeus didn't dare. She didn't care. Doesn't matter about my practical limitations, I'm going to go and push through. No, Zacchaeus didn't dare. Why do you think maybe? I would propose this, that the guilt maybe, the sin in him caused him to hold back. And, you know, Den looked at this, didn't he, in week two about an obstacle to receiving grace is our stuff. That shame and guilt and all that stuff can hold us back from receiving what God's got for us. And I suspect part of it was that. Because if you took that away and it was short, he would say, I don't care, I'm just going to run in through the fold. I'll get to the front, then I'll see Jesus. But no, he wanted a perch in a tree. So here he is. Imagine Zacchaeus. He's run. He's in the sycamore tree. He's climbed up. And they they see it, they're coming over. And no doubt he thought, well, I'll get a glimpse. If I'm lucky, I might hear a story because I hear he's a great storyteller. And then once I've done that, I'll climb down the tree, get back to my house, count the money, and get back to collecting taxes for the Romans. But boy, wasn't his life about to be changed? (laughs) What happens next changes his life. The very man that he wanted to see, the man that's walking through, all of a sudden stops. <gasps> and he looks up. You can imagine Zacchaeus. What is he doing? I oh, wasn't supposed to be seen. Zacchaeus! Come down immediately! <gasps> Who, me? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Not even me. How does he know my name? Jesus, you're only supposed to be passing through, remember? That's what it says in the text. What are you doing stopping and talking to me? How did he even see me? Sycamores have good leaves. I can get hidden. And can you imagine? These Jews that hated Zacchaeus, what's Jesus doing? I don't think Jesus realizes that he's a tax collector. Don't think Jesus realizes he's the chief tax collector. This is strange. Jesus wasn't even supposed to stop, but there he does. He stops. Zacchaeus. And this brings me on to number one of our nine principles of grace. Grace addressed him by name. Grace addresses us by name. Listen, grace is specific to you, not general to all. Grace is specific to you, not general to all. Grace calls you and you and you and you and you by name. You are not forgotten. You cannot hide. Zacchaeus couldn't hide, nor can you. You're not looking on from the outside thinking it's for everybody else. Jesus is saying, this grace is for you. This grace is for you. Let me say this. You see, Jesus sees past the sin and sees the person. That is what grace is, his unmerited favor, in spite of what he we do. He sees past all the stuff in Zacchaeus and sees the person, the powerless person, the rejected and the despised person, Zacchaeus. Isn't that beautiful? but Jesus doesn't stop there. What does he say? I must stay at your house today. What? Are you serious? Jesus, okay, I will forgive you if you just want to say hello, because he's the chief tax collector, but don't you realize that you're about to go into the house of a sinner, and that's what these people are muttering, Let me me rephrase this for you, Jesus. He works for the Romans, the same people that apparently you're supposed to free us from. This does not make sense to us. Cannot compute, cannot compute. You can just imagine the Jews, can't you? This Messiah was doing everything the wrong way. So what do we see in this invitation? And Chris looked at this last week. We see from presence to fellowship. In this picture, we see from presence to fellowship. One minute, Zacchaeus is in the presence of Jesus. Next minute, there's an invitation to fellowship. Isn't that beautiful? This is the second principle of grace. Grace enables fellowship with Christ. Grace enables fellowship with Christ. Let me put it this way, and and Chris mentioned this last week as he introduced this concept to us. You know, many people come in this building who are not Christians, who have, haven't professed a belief in Christ, but they will say, I felt something in that place. I cannot describe it. Many people have said there's a peace or there's a joy. What they're describing is the presence of God. And that's wonderful, and we love that. But in, as New Testament believers, in a covenant of the New Testament, there is more. There is fellowship. Christ comes to indwell in us, to stay, if you like, at our house. That is the promise of fellowship. What a wonderful promise it is. And that, you see, is what grace enables. Grace enables the life of Christ to be our life, to be in us. And that is what we see here in this story. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to stay in your house. You might have thought it was great seeing me, but let me tell you something. There's more. There's more. I've got fellowship. <clears throat> so how does Zacchaeus respond in this story? Does he say, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to stay in the tree. Too scared. No, he came down instantly. No delay. I love that. What a response. That is the response to grace, you see. That is the response to God's grace. And all of a sudden, he didn't care about the Jews, the other Jews. He didn't care what they thought about him. All of that stuff that he may have carried before didn't make... A difference to him now because he had an invitation of grace and he jumped down off that tree. Yes, Jesus. See, we cannot not respond to grace. Grace draws us. It woos us. It appeals to us. It touches us. It heals us. It speaks our name. And you say, I think that's the Lord speaking to me. I feel him. And so not caring about the people around him, he said yes. And I suspect, you know, Zacchaeus in that, in that moment realized his present state. He realized he was up on a tree all alone. No doubt he realized his life and his sin. He realized he was on the outside looking in. And in that moment, he wanted so much more. He came off the tree. He jumped down. And isn't that a great metaphor, a great picture of humility? Think about this. When grace calls our name, we come down from our lofty perch, don't we? Here's our third principle of grace. Grace humbles us. Grace humbles us. Why? Because grace, it opens our eyes to who we are. Think about it. I have been in those moments, and I'm sure you have, when we do not feel as we deserve anything. Have you been there? And yet God pours his love and his affirmation And his gifts upon us. And we think, why, Lord? I don't deserve this. And in that moment, we are humbled by his grace. You realize it's not about us, but about God. And here's the thing you see. As God humbles us, humility accepts more grace. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I would suggest you cannot humble yourself. You make a step towards being humble. But it is the power of God in us that enables us for true humility. And as he does that, we're able to accept more grace. And this, in some respects, is what happened to Zacchaeus. Metaphorically, he came down from his pride and said, I don't care what people think about me. I recognize who I am. I recognize my need for this this man called Jesus. But what happens in the story doesn't end there, does it? People saw this and began to mutter. Whispers, whispers. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. This is shocking. This is not the Jesus we thought he was. And that leads us on to the fourth principle of grace, which is this grace causes others to take note, it challenges us. I myself, when I have seen people that I would say, well, don't deserve God, really. And we see the grace is poured out upon them. We see how their lives are so blessed in spite of what they do. And maybe it's just me, but there's prejudice and judgment, is there not? God, really? You know, we look at these Jews, are we any different? Are we perfect? Are we like, yes, fantastic. I've always been thinking about Zacchaeus. So glad that Jesus did that, really. I know I'm like, oh, what about me, Lord? You'll look at me, it's blank. You're a bad man, Mark. Bad man. I would never think that. You see, grace, as we see grace in others, it challenges us. It challenges us, our prejudices, our judgments, our preconceptions about people. That is the work of grace, you see. And here's the fifth principle of grace. In so doing, you see, grace reveals God. It reveals his nature, his love, his goodness, and his mercy. Think about this. Without grace, God would be hidden from mankind. Have you ever thought about that? Without grace, without his unmerited favor upon us, God would be hidden from mankind. We would never see his love and his mercy. We would never see his goodness. We would never know him, never experience. We would be lost forever without his amazing grace see, God's grace reveals his nature. It reveals who he is to us. And that's what happened in this moment with Zacchaeus. The grace of God revealed Jesus and revealed his kindness towards Zacchaeus, his acceptance towards Zacchaeus. Without this invitation of grace, Zacchaeus and the others around him would not have seen this. <clears throat> and what happens next? What is the fruit of grace? And in fact, this is the point at which I was supposed to be doing the teaching. (laughs) What does Zacchaeus say? I love this bit. Look, Lord, look at me. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And let me just say this, by the way, if I have cheated anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow. Did we just hear this right? Really? Seriously? Have you ever read that sort of thought? Ah, touch unbelievable. Two times? Maybe. Three, add a push. Four, not convinced. No, there was a change. And I love this because this is a good demonstration of repentance. You know, repentance is turning away. This was a declaration of repentance from Zacchaeus. He had received the touch of grace, and what was the response? Forgive me, Lord, I repent. Forgive me, Lord, I repent. And when, we, when the, the true nature of God is revealed in us, that is our response. Oh, Lord, would you forgive me? I repent. But I find it very interesting in this story. <clears throat> you know, and here's the point about empowered. Grace, and this is the sixth principle, grace enabled him to overcome his circumstances. What do I mean by this? Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, come down. I've got a new job for you. When you're in a new position, you haven't got the tensions of the Romans and the Jews, then you can be a good person. Jesus didn't take that away from him, did he? But in spite of Zacchaeus' circumstances and the obstacles of trying to please the Romans, he didn't care about any of that. He said, I don't care. My circumstances haven't changed, but I... I'm going to be empowered. I'm going to move from being powerless to being empowered and doing that which God has called me to do. And that really is the nub of this series. You know, what would the Romans think? Think about this. Our chief tax collector is giving back money, taxes. This is a problem for us. What would the Jews think? I don't trust this man. No chance. He's up to something. Zacchaeus didn't care. Because all of a sudden, he was empowered in spite of the thorn in his side. He was empowered in spite of his obstacles. And friends, let me say this. Sometimes we are calling out to God to remove us from a situation when what he's saying is, my grace is sufficient for you. You can be empowered in your situation. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you'll always stay there. It just means that in that moment, God has provided a way for you to do all that which God has called you to do. And so that's what I love about this. Zacchaeus just didn't care. He had encountered Jesus. He could be empowered because he had received that life from Jesus. I love it. And that's the uh, seventh point. Empowered living. Grace causes good works. And here's Karl Barth, a fantastic, uh, one of the leading reform theologians of the 20th century. He said this, Grace must find expression in life, otherwise it is not grace. Great, isn't it? Grace must find expression in life, otherwise it is not grace. Grace always has an impact. goes back to St. Augustine's quote. Grace is not given because of our good works, it's given so that we may do them. And this is what we see in the story of Zacchaeus, don't we? He experienced the grace of God, and all of a sudden that enabled him to be empowered and do good works. You just cannot experience God's grace and stay the same Now, let me say this, as a parenthesis, you might not drastically change like Zacchaeus. I know in my life, I haven't had a Zacchaeus moment where all of a sudden I've changed. Steph, you'll attest to that, won't you? Very patient wife here, I'm very blessed. It's been gradual, and of course it is gradual, is it not? It's a journey of grace. That's the subtitle of this series, a journey of grace. But, but, there will be steps, there will be motion, there will be movement, there will be momentum. There will be that snowball effect and you'll look back and think, wow, there has been change in my life. And I'm sure right now you can reflect in your own lives that movement that you've seen when you said yes to Jesus. And that brings us to Galatians 5.22, which is the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of having the life of Jesus in us, made possible by the work of the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of grace. Do you see that? That is what Zacchaeus was moving into all of a sudden. The kindness that all of a sudden... He saw the Jews in a different way. He didn't see them as people he could rip off. He saw them as people he could bless. He didn't see the Romans as someone he had to do whatever they wanted. He saw the Romans as someone he could demonstrate the, the goodness of God. All of a sudden, the fruits came. The fruit came. And that really shows us, does it not, the the need for continual fellowship with Jesus through word and prayer. And Chris looked at this in week three in terms of growing in grace. But let us move on. There is more to this story. Jesus said this at the end of all this. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham? Why did Jesus say this? Have you wondered what was the point of Jesus saying this? Was it a teaching point? I don't think so. I think He wanted to affirm and commend and encourage Zacchaeus in that moment. Jesus knew the scorn and the persecution of the people around, but He chose to say, "That's my boy. That's my boy." He has said yes to me. He has responded to the call of grace. He has responded to my love. That's my boy. He is my son, just like you. That's what it means when Jesus said, this man too is a son of Abraham, just like you, fellow Jews. And sometimes, friends, in fact, Jesus is saying that to us, don't look at others and think, they're on the outside. They're my children too. Don't look at them in that way. Look at them with love and kindness. And here's the eighth principle of grace. Grace affirms us. Grace not only calls us by name, it doesn't only save us, not only empowers us, not only that, but it affirms us. It says, that's my boy. Yes, I'm talking about you. I'm pouring my grace upon you because I love you. And you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my girl. And what happens? We feel the affirmation in that moment of God, don't we? And it actually spurs us on for further good works. When we recognize that God loves us and has seeked us out, and when we recognize that he has empowered us, we want to do more for him. We want to do more for him. And you know, I think this is interesting because it mirrors What he saw his father do when he was baptized. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus does this time and again in the gospel accounts where he affirms people. What about the story of uh, in John 8, 1 to 11, the woman that's caught in adultery. What does he do? He says, as people are wanting to stone her, let the person who has no sin throw the first stone. And he writes down something in the ground. And we don't know what it is, but I suggest it affirmed her. It encouraged her. And then he turns to her and says, sin no more. Because she experienced the grace of God. She experienced the grace of God. And he affirmed her in that moment. You are not your sin. You are a beautiful woman. Go sin no more. I'm going to invite the band up as I bring this to a close. And lastly, Jesus says this. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Here's the thing. Number nine, we got there. God's grace is seeking you out. You cannot hide. He is seeking you out. When you're not even in the firing line like Zacchaeus, his grace is seeking you out. He will stop for you. When you're perched from afar, he is seeking you out. So, let us get back to Zacchaeus. What happened to our friend Zacchaeus? <clears throat> well, we don't read about him anymore in the Bible. Did he maybe fall away again and become the chief chief tax collector? And think, oh, I don't know what happened in that. that was, I was going crazy giving back the money. But actually, early church tradition has it that Zacchaeus became the first bishop of Caesarea. From despising and being rejected by the Jews to becoming their pastor. Isn't that beautiful? That is the fruit of grace. That is the fruit of grace that is available to us all. Let us worship.